So this bolt of lightning shot across the universe and inspired me with the idea that we have to do a podcast. And that's what I wanted to tell you. We should do a podcast. Okay, bye. I did, and I t- and it was good, and I hit record already. <laughs> okay, so I hit record, so here we go. Okay. All right. Um, oh, welcome to Feature Creep, colon. Built-in microwave, semicolon. Uh, I've already forgot. This is a uh, oh, dystopian, dystopian dorm, dorm design. design. Yes. Comma, Charlie Munger, the architectural menace. Yes, right. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right. So right away, if you have no idea what we're talking about... Um, the, parenthesis dwarf fortress yeah parenthesis Plus dwarf parenthesis. fortress um so if you have no idea what we're talking about or you don't know who charlie munger is like we'll just get to the like the meat and potatoes of it real quick so you can yeah. stop listening if this isn't your bag um but <laughs> essentially uh this um uh, so uc santa barbara has planned a student housing development in partnership with, according to their um, their article, <laughs> with visionary philanthropist Charlie Munger. Um, I would be surprised if you're listening to this and you don't know what the fuck we're talking about. It, it's but uh, no no shame in that. Good for you for keeping your head out of the fucking the gutter. Oh, so the um, gutter, yeah, exactly. Yeah, not the good gutter, <clears throat> not the sleazy good. Gutter filled not with the drugs fun and gutter, fun sex not the whatever. filth gutter, or dangerous the, sex. I don't know, whatever. The, like <laughs> the, uh, the the like uh, cast offs of ar- the architectural world, maybe. Right. <laughs> the dregs uh, of the architectural world, right? More more of a sewer, yeah. <laughs> yeah the waste, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. So anyway, this, uh, you you've you you go. You tell tell right. us more about. This. <clears throat> so I was uh I was up late one night as I'm wont to do from time to time um staring into the abyss and I was like oh I I'm I'm gonna read whatever's on the internet for news at like 3 a.m. Right. And I came across uh a story in the news about um architectural goings on at the <clears throat> proposed architectural goings on at uc santa barbara mm-hmm. which is a school out by you in california at college yep. university and um this the story is about a man named charlie munger who is a, a rich person um I looked up his, I had never heard of him before, so I looked him up on Wikipedia, and his name is um, Charles Thomas Munger. He was born on the first day of 1924, so he's real old. Uh, Mm -hmm. He's an American billionaire investor, businessman, and former real estate attorney. Uh, He is the vice chairman of Berkshire Hathaway, the conglomerate controlled by Warren Buffett. And he has described Charlie Munger, Warren Buffett has described Charlie Munger as his closest partner and right-hand man. He served as chairman of Westco Financial Corporation from 1984 through 2011. He is also chairman of the Daily Journal Corporation based in L.A., California. And he is one of the directors of Costco, the the you know enormal mart costco enormal mart mm-hmm. the only slightly less morally reprehensible co- co- version of like sam's club right um he was born in omaha nebraska that's why he's like you know he he worked at like warren buffett's grandpa's grocery store anyway i'm telling you all of these weird stories because um it's pertinent he uh 
he dropped out of college to serve in the U.S. Army Air Corps. Um, he was he was ordered to study meteorology at Caltech in Pasadena, and that's where he ended up living for a while. Um, he tried to go to Harvard Law School and rejected him uh, because he didn't have an undergraduate degree, <laughs> which is just like yeah. Who could have seen that coming? That should give you an indication of like what this guy is, feels he's entitled to. Right. Um, he eventually like got into law school, I guess, and um, he he liked playing cards. Like he it was a big card shark, apparently. I guess I don't know. And then he got into like investing things, um, investing money, obviously. And there's all this information in Wikipedia about investing, investing, investing. There's a huge section about wealth and philanthropy. So he's a major benefactor to the University of Michigan. Mm-hmm. He he made a $3 million gift to the U Mich for uh, law school for lighting improvements, apparently. Um, $20 million to the law school for renovations to the Lawyers Club housing complex. Um, he covered the majority of the $39 million cost for that building. He donated $1.8 million to the Marlboro School in Los Angeles, uh, where I believe Nancy, I think Nancy's his wife, she was an alumna. Um, he, they also donated to Polytechnic School in Pasadena and to the Los Angeles YMCA. So he gives a bunch of money away right. <clears throat> um, it, to like academic things. Um, so <laughs> here's the interesting part. The heading of this section on Wikipedia is called Architectural Efforts and Controversy. <laughs> and it begins, Munger is an amateur architect, period. He has donated to universities on the precondition that the universities follow his architectural blueprints exactly. This leads us to the current situation at yes, UC Santa yes. Barbara <laughs> that I was reading about at 3 a.m. the other day. Mm-hmm. So um, this is not the first time that he has done something like this. And what he's done, we will get to in a moment. Right. Um, <clears throat> he gifted $110 million in 2013 to the University of Michigan to fund a new, <laughs> in quotes, state-of-the-art Residents designed to foster a community of scholars where graduate students from multiple disciplines can live and exchange ideas. The gift includes $10 million for graduate student fellowships. The, the residence, which he designed, houses 600 single bedrooms, none of which have windows. Right. Um, the Munger Graduate Residence, funded and designed by Munger himself and named eponymously, opened in late 2009 and now houses 600 law and graduate students. Uh, he's been a Harvard, uh, trustee of Harvard-Westlake School in Los Angeles for more than 40 years. He donated eight shares of Berkshire Hathaway stock to them, which is like $800,000, and then another $9.2 million towards building some kind of middle school campus. Um they made a gift of $13 million to the Munger Science Center, also named after them, at the high school campus, a two-story classroom and lab building which opened in 1995 and has been desi- described as a science teacher's dream. Uh, the design was substantially influenced by Charlie Munger. Um, in October 2014, $65 million to the Kavli Institute for Theoretical Physics at UC Santa Barbara. 
it was the largest gift in the history of the school until the gift that he's proposing to make, if you're counting that, um, <clears throat> which uh, we're going to get to now. So uh, the 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 supposed the purported reason that he wanted the Kavli Institute to um, improve their situation is that he wanted to bring together physicists to exchange ideas, to talk to one another, create new stuff and cross fertilize, which I, that sounds great to me, right? Right. I'm huge into interdisciplinary stuff. So then in March, 2016, he announced a further $200 million gift to UC Santa Barbara conditioned on the university's commitment to spend it on an undergraduate dormitory of Munger's own unconventional design Featuring windowless bedrooms, tripling the record gift he gave for the Kavli Institute for Physics, theoretical physics. And then in October of 2021, contemporarily, Munger's insistence that the university follow his design compelled professional architect Dennis McFadden, who had served the university for two decades, to resign from the university's design review committee. McFadden stated that the windowless 1.68 million square foot dormitory, 1.68 million square foot dormitory would be quote unquote, unstoppable from my perspective as an architect, unsupportable from my perspective as an architect, a parent and a human being, an ample body of documented evidence shows that interior environments with access to natural light, air, and views to nature improve both the physical and mental well-being of occupants. The Munger Hall design ignores this evidence and seems to take the position that it doesn't matter. The building is a social and psychological experiment with an unknown impact on the lives and personal development of the undergraduates the university serves. Mm-hmm. So. This is the story that I initially wanted to talk about. The story of Dennis McFadden and how he quit an illustrious career over plans to build what is essentially a death trap and is like like being built simply because the gift of money is so large that this this enormous institution feels like they can't say no to this crazy 90-year-old man. Right. So um, I think the story when I initially read it that fateful night at 3 a.m., it was I think it was one of the ones maybe from Architectural Digest or something. So it was specifically about like, holy shit, Dennis McFadden just resigned. Right. In in protest. And I was like, what's this? Like, who's this architect resigning in protest? And I really enjoy um, like all kinds of design. But architecture is such a like. Oh my gosh, it's such a, a huge discipline and there's just so much to know about it that in general I haven't even like dived into that pond even a little bit yet. I mm-hmm. I don't I don't when I read about design oftentimes it's not like focused on architecture because I just don't know anything about architecture and most of it's over my head. So yeah. but I just found this interesting because he resi- the fact that somebody was willing to resign o- and and end their career essentially in protest over something really caught my attention. Um so that that's the background on Charlie Munger. Yeah. Um, and uh, the this made news in so many places. It made news out well outside of like the architectural um, universe. Um, Gizmodo had a story about it. Um, CNN, The Independent, New York Times, San Francisco Gate, The Washington Post. Yeah. Like that was just those were the ones I found the next day, and it's been weeks since I read this. Um, and more and more people are talking about it. Like the Wikipedia page has been updated now. Yeah. Um, the last time I looked, I don't think it had been updated to indicate that he was like trying to do this crazy thing. So um, 
the uh, there's some more stuff that Dennis McFadden said. This is from the UC Santa Barbara School newspaper. It quotes Dennis McFadden as saying, I was disturbed by both the process and the content of the Munger Hall design presentation. The basic concept of Munger Hall as a place for students to live is unsupportable from my perspective as an architect, a parent, and a human being. Um, his main concern over the construction of Munger Hall was the complete lack of access to the outside from inside the building. With the eight-person living units being completely sealed environments with no exterior windows and completely dependent on artificial lighting and mechanical ventilation. Yeah. So if the electricity goes out, you're in a one almost uh, more than one and a half million square foot rat maze. Yes. Yeah. And yeah. With no with no lights and no way to like no ventilation. No and fresh air. No fresh air whatsoever. I mean, you are and this this thing is like so I don't know when we should start talking about actually what it looks like. Um, yes, anytime you want. Like so the only the only other thing that I was gonna say really quick, and I'm not sure yeah. where um in which of the of the excerpts that I've assembled here for us to like go off of it says this, but I think it's worth saying right now and we'll probably come across it by accident in a minute. <clears throat> um, this is an 11 story. So Gizmodo, here we go. Yeah. It's an 11 story mixed use cell block mm -hmm. of academic halls and inward facing compartments, a social and psychological experiment with unknown impacts on thousands of subjects in the coming years. It will warehouse up to 4,500 students 94% of whom will sleep in pods equipped with what appears to be artificial sunlight panels and bunks wedged into the wall, spending their formative years winding through eight-bedroom containers like rats. Yep. McFadden said the building only has two entrances. Yeah. Yeah. So just to like pile on to this. So the... <laughs> um, there so according to the guardian um in their article from uh november 4th 2021 uh research suggests that human beings are adversely affected by lack of sunlight and fresh air i think that's something most of us at least have some if you've been around you know if you've if you've lived a, a couple of years and you spent some time in a cave essentially um yeah you know you know what the fuck we're talking about <laughs> um they also say which i i thought was particularly interesting in many u.s jurisdictions including new york city it is illegal to advertise a windowless room as a bedroom right so this doesn't meet basin basic like human living standards in major me metropolitan areas right yeah like it's illegal to advertise any of these as bedrooms in many u.s jurisdictions i wonder what it is in I, uc santa barbara or santa barbara in general i would imagine they probably have laws like that in california um but maybe yeah. not i don't know i mean you would think so i mean you would think that there are i bet they will after this thing gets built yes <laughs> If you don't now, you will. Like, I, from my point of view, this thing is like a student suicide factory. Like, yes, that's, it's, it's you put a, students in, yep. and then you just drive them to suicide. Like, this is just so many people are going to be so depressed after having gone through this experience. Yeah, um, Dennis McFadden said the project is essentially the student life portion of a mid-sized university campus in a box. No research or data was presented to justify the extreme density or to understand its impact. UCSB students as the subject of the experiment will be left to negotiate the unintended consequences. Right. 
I I I can't remember where I read it. Um but they likened the they compared the population density of this proposed Charlie Munger death factory building to um slums in like really densely populated slums in um like Bangalore, India, for example. Right. Not that there's anything wrong with slums. Like they one fifth of well, the population on the planet lives in them and there's like, no shame in having lived in a no slum. Shame in there's lots wrong slum. with slums. There's um, plenty wrong with slums. The yes. people who live there, it's it's, it's not a, a moral complex judgment. issue. Yeah, this go. isn't a moral judgment about it's not a moral judgment about slums. <laughs> right. Well, about your existence in a slum or your experience with it. The right. judgment is on the issue of why they exist and and what kind of problems they have. Like it's in, in a situation where um, you have a lot of people living very very close together and very shy on resources. Yeah, you can look at what they're accomplishing as like the best that yeah, it's amazing. The best they no, can it, and being like really right. ingenious. But if you have the opportunity to not start from that point and work up from there, right. you probably wouldn't want to do that on purpose. Right. And like you don't want to design for that kind of population density with that little sunlight or natural ventilation or air. (laughs) Right. Right. Yeah. Um, Yeah. yeah, This reminds me a ton of the Kowloon Walden City. Mm -hmm. Yes. You heard of this? Yeah. It doesn't doesn't exist anymore. They tore it down. But yeah, um, I believe that was the most dense population of anywhere on the planet at one point in time yeah and it was just it was very similar it was like blocks tiny little blocks built on tiny little blocks built on tiny little blocks of this in this just massive um city it was super impressive like i have i have so many questions about so i'm looking at one of the floor plans like the residential floor plans and they break them down into what they call houses on each floor i think there's like eight Mm -hmm. houses or something yeah and they're literally just these like cell blocks of like there's a long central hallway with four hallways on each side branching out into the house and the red in the the sleeping areas are these just basically cubicles with doors and walls that go all the way to the ceiling like they're so small and mm-hmm. they have no windows whatsoever and they're just this rat maze of like corridors and doors and like no no open space it's just super tightly packed and dense um it looks insane it looks like so what i immediately <laughs> thought of when i saw this <laughs> yes and hopefully some of our listeners will already be familiar with this game but um meg had not heard of it so i, I tried to give her a little primer there is a game that was written um several years ago now called dwarf fortress and uh dwarf fortress is pretty great because it spawned like a whole genre of video games um and uh it's it's (laughs) dwarf fortress is kind of a construction and management simulation um it has it draws from other older games like roguelike games and um and if you're not familiar with roguelike games roguelike games are traditionally um the original Rogue was this sort of uh, this video game where it was top-down view, kind of like Legend of Zelda or like mm-hmm. traditional or like Pac-Man kind of, um, where you navigate this icon through these um, these sort of dungeon mazes, right? These rooms connected by corridors, yeah. and um, and traditionally it was it, it and it had really poor graphics. It used ASCII characters, like text characters, 
um, mm-hmm. because it was written and ran on like old like Linux machines or old Unix servers and things like that. And so it didn't have any of these like fancy graphics. It just used the various character um, the various various characters you can find on a keyboard, letters representing different animals and monsters, and mm. the at symbol representing your icon, your hero avatar, right? That you moved around. And gotcha. um but the the principles of a roguelike that are probably important is that it's randomly generated. So every time you play each new dungeon that you go into is potentially one you've never encountered before because the placement of monsters and the location of the rooms are different every time. It has an algorithm that generates this. The other major aspect of a roguelike is usually what's called permanent death where you play the game uh-huh. and when you die that game is over you have to start from the beginning with a new dungeon oh. with new stuff so whatever okay. you saw and discovered about the world is over once you Forget die it. and now you start all over again Means um, nothing. yeah and so it kind of appeals to people with that sense of like replayability where there's major story arcs that might be the same but every time it's a totally different experience different mm-hmm. different monster locations and and behaviors and all of that stuff um anyway so Flash forward to uh, Door Fortress, which was released. It was uh, it was released in two thousand six, um, the first alpha version, which sort of uh, by this developer publisher company called Bay Twelve Games, which I believe are just two brothers. Uh, I think it's Tarn and Zach Adams. Hmm. Um, Tarn's a cool name. Yeah, they uh, yeah. So they wrote. Um, they kind of wrote and developed this game and it was it's just been this kind of like really great independent hit like it's just pretty cool anyway yeah. the game itself is more of a construction and management simulation it's still um, like that kind of top-down view but instead of controlling individual dwarves you you're like sort of the director so you indicate mm-hmm. what work should be done on this sort of map overlay where you can be like you need to mine over here or you need to clear out these stones over here or you need to create a workshop over here so you're it's kind of that sim city of like you know you're building building zones where people can you know thrive and do whatever and more dwarves come to your fortress but the idea is you built this functioning dwarf fortress and then you have you know enemies to fight and traders that come and goods to create and resources to manage and mine and develop and um technology to to research etc and like build your dwarves up so um the game i soon as i saw this map of the <laughs> munger hall i was like well that's an optimized dwarf fortress dormitory so the thing about Dwarf Fortress is like you're you're working, you know, the developers, Bay 12 Games, they had some idea of what it means to be a dwarf and like what their sort of like what their motivations and happiness is, like their needs and wants, right? Like they yeah. need to be fed. They need to sleep a certain amount of hours. They need to be able to express their creativity and all these things. And so right. as the game has been developed over the years, they've become more complex creatures to cater to and your job is sort of the controller or the player of the game is to create a home that they can thrive in so that they can you know become wealthy overlords of their castle or whatever right sure um of their dwarf fortress so yep like you know very much it's right in the name so (laughs) um as a player you're often balancing the time it takes to construct rooms like oftentimes you're just digging you know, you're you're mining out space in the side yeah. of a mountain. So, you know, a room is basically like a four by four square or something, and then you put a bed in it and a door, mm-hmm. and now it's considered mm-hmm. a room in the game. You sure. know, no windows or whatever. But 
even in the game, they take some of that into account where it's like the quality of the room matters. Like, is it ah. finished nicely? Are there nice goods in it? You know, is the bed well made? Is the door well made? Is is there natural light? Is there not natural light? So dwarves, I think some dwarves have different. I It's been a while since I played it, but I think now they have like personalities where some dwarves favor outside, where some dwarves favor being inside. Mm -hmm. But they have these like wants and needs and um, and so when you're building, when you're playing the game, like you want to maximize your efficiency by like not having to dig out larger rooms plus spaces limited on any given sure. plane, right? Like so you're you making kind of like, you're making these like formulas like, well, if it, I'll save on this, if I spend a little more on this or like, I'll get better results on this. If I take a little extra time to do this, or right, I, it's right. not worth wasting time on this because the results aren't like a great return on investment or whatever. Yeah. Like you're and, doing the calculus, right? Yeah. And so the crazy thing is over the life of this game, those things have changed as the as the wants and needs of the dwarves have like matured in the development realm right, right. Like they're like oh now our dwarves have fey moods where suddenly they get angry about something and mm -hmm. go off and trash half of your infrastructure or you know or do some weird like they get moody and shut themselves in their room or whatever and all of these can be triggered by their kind of like happiness like if you've played the sims yeah. you're familiar with this idea of like 100%. you know like they need to feed and clean and bathe themselves and like have some exercise and entertainment and etc and so um it's a similar kind of experience and so when i'm looking so there's a um there's a wikipedia for dwarf fortress called dwarffortresswiki.org um where they have examples of uh like they have strategies and and they talk much more about the nuances of the game because it's really complex um mm -hmm. like just really insanely complex so there's a yeah. whole page on bedroom design and um and like, you know, what what you get right in game, like, you know, if you make a one by one bed room, which is like with no walls, but you can designate it as a room, then right. that will meet the minimum requirements. But, um, you know, that dwarf may not like the dwarf that lives in that room is going to always have like a low mood and be very inefficient and not help you with other things that need to happen. Um mm -hmm. You know, and you can move on from them, like from there. Like, are they sharing room? Like, are two dwarves sleeping in a room who are, you know, not not in a relationship? Then there's conflict and strife there, etc. Um, uh -huh. And it just kind of works up from there. And it talks about different ways of doing it. Um, and so there's this trade off of density, like in the game. Like you want. So the longer, like, if your dwarf lives far away from like its job and its its sort of other things that it needs, like food and social, then yep. it spends more of its time in game traveling between when it needs to sleep and visit its personal space towards when it's like eating and doing other communal activities. And so, if your distance from like you know, so that's a factor. Like if you have a dwarf who's like the main like miner or something, and and mm -hmm. that dwarf's job is to like like she's her main thing is to swing a pickaxe and like carve out new tunnels and discover new things in the mountain. So if she has to walk from her room to the communal area to eat and then maybe back to her room to like get dressed or something before she goes to work, um, yeah. that if that distance is long, then she might spend more of her time doing that and less time being efficient for you, like mining out the, the caves or whatever. Got so, it. Or the mountain. Yeah. so, of course um, that makes sense. Yeah. And, and the thing is like, you know, looking at this insane, um munger hall which is basically like the one floor map i'm looking at like you could end up in a room that is uh so like you could end up in a room that's one two three 
three doors away from seeing natural light, from seeing any window whatsoever. Actually, in fact, all rooms are at least a minimum of three doors away, as far as I can tell. There are three major doors between Mm -hmm. you and seeing a window. Daylight. Um, Forget about distances of hallways and stuff. So that's Um, not even to the outside world. No, that's just to to see a window. To leave the building, um, it's also a minimum of three doors. If you're inside your bedroom, you have your bedroom door, then there's your like sort of hallway door that goes into another feeder hallway and then another door that feeds out. And then you can see the main hallway where you can see the outside door that you could go out of. So four doors to leave your house every time. If and you're, they're, if you're and in they're your not, they're not in a straight line, are they? So you have oh, to no, make no, a no. left or a yeah. right turn to get to them. Yeah, you need to, you need to make a left. Like generally, you're going to have to turn out of your room down whatever hallway that is, and then make another turn down another hallway, and then you're going to be in a major hallway where you're going to have to turn one way or another to go out a main door. Um, that's assuming that you're like on the first floor, which probably you're not. Which means you're going to have to go get in an elevator or take other doors. In fact, nope. That's not none of these bedroom, none of these bedroom communities are on the first floor. So no matter what, just to get down to the next floor, you just to get to the door to go to the next floor, it's four doors. Then you're either taking an elevator or you're going into a stairwell where all the stairwells that I see on this plan just to get into the stairwell is two doors, one into like an entryway that then has another door that goes into the stairwell. So Lots and lots of doors. So just even if all these doors were like five feet apart and you were just, you know, every day that you leave or come to your house. So going out and coming back in is a 10 door minimum process, right? (laughs) And there's a ton of other people who want to use those same doors. Yes. Yeah. So, um, so like, you know, my God, what? Oh, and that's that's to just go down into the dark or up into the dark depths of your room, like or or the artificially sun lamp lit room or whatever. So, right. um, and the reason I mentioned mention the doors is that in Dwarf Fortress there are also doors, and mm-hmm. number of doors is a huge factor to how efficient your system can be because every time a dwarf has to go through a door, it has to stop and operate the door, yep, or leave it open. But but you know, that's my point, right? Like, yeah, that's no different for human beings. Like every time you need to go through a door, that's going, that's a barrier to you transitioning from one space to the next. Um, and there are, you know, doors are good and bad, right? Like they're good when they keep the elements out or they protect you from things or they give you privacy, et cetera, or sound protection or whatever. Like, Mm -hmm. I'm not saying doors are bad. I'm just saying this is insane. Like this is crazy. Forget about all of the other issues, but then like the actual distances, like the distance to leave your room, like you spend so much of your time in this artificial lighting. That's not like, this isn't like, like I could imagine where it's like, okay, your actual bedroom where you sleep doesn't have any natural light. Not great. Yep. But let's say, you know, you open your door and now you're in this like nice, naturally lit hallway you're in the community space and so your bedroom's a bit of a cave like i'm sure there's good research for why that's bad but this just seems so much worse because it's like not only are you living in a cave it's like no you're deep down in the cave like you have to like go into a big cave where it's artificial lighting then go through more doors into smaller and smaller caves until you reach your tiny little personal small cave that's at the you know at the deep heart of this 
insane insanity. How um, will these 4,500 people or whatever not end up, A, fighting claustrophobia panic at all times? Right. B, surviving, and C, not like, I don't know, cannibalizing each other in there. Like, this is just insane. It's so insane to think that anybody could, like, survive. Oh, there's no. Yeah. Like, how could this even. uh, This is such a death trap. Yeah. Can you imagine if there's even a minor fire? What is that going to do to the HVAC and the electrical and the, like, fire suppression and and evacuation um this is super interesting so somebody um a a man named henry t yang who's the chancellor of uc Mm -hmm. santa barbara um apparently wrote some stuff with a gun to his head uh, or i don't know why else he would think that this was a good idea But he said, we are deeply grateful to Charlie Munger for his vision, his leadership, and his commitment to creating a living and learning environment that will further support the academic success and personal well-being of our students. Munger has characterized the design as our version of ship architecture on land for its efficient use of space and for being all-inclusive. Nearly everything a resident could want or need except for sunshine and fresh air. Mm Mm-hmm is available on site. He has said his primary goal for the building is that it ultimately be so much better than normal that it will become widely admired as among the best. There's no chance. This, like, the so there's other issues that, like, dwarf, like okay, so even Dwarf Fortress, I think, addresses this the last time I played. It's been a long time. Um, and by all means, if you're listening to this and you're a fan of Dwarf Fortress or you know otherwise or you have oh. thoughts, we would love to hear from you. And you yes. can email us directly, either our executive assistant directly, and she'll sort you out, uh, Dana, D-A-N-A, at fcbm.io. You can go to our website, fcbm.io, and see our email addresses there as well. Um, but yeah, we'd love to hear from you. But I think that there are... Um, so there's a cleanliness issue in Doors Fortress, if I remember correctly. It's uh-huh. been a little while, but I think that um, there is an issue of needing to clean the space. If mm-hmm. if it's not this game, there are other games that came after this that lots of people have created that basically have the same principle, right? Like you end up like having to build these like funky spaces and and there's an there's an issue of efficiency with like how far you know the the structure of your space and like the working environment and like how how your sort of pawns or your dwarves or whatever characters you're you're interacting with how they can move around the space so i think spaces get dirty i think in dwarf fortress i think they get dirty and that's an issue because having more surface area means you need to clean it but also uh-huh. where that surface area is and who moves through it and what kind of traffic there is and like what kind of facilities you have nearby to clean it this like this is the same problem with buildings like pu- mm-hmm. especially public buildings where you have mm-hmm. lots of people living you're you're talking about a huge density of human beings and I don't know about you, but my biology has taught me my biology. Experiencing my own human biology has <laughs> has certainly taught me that um, owning a large body means a lot of waste over time builds up. And I'm not just talking about poop and pee. Like I like you know your hair, hair. like breaks off, the skin cells skin. break off. Yeah, just like you know farts and burps and like you know it's like 
and you track dirt in, even though, even yep. if you're really good about it and you have good, you know, rugs and what, or, you know, you have a, a mat, a doormat and you maybe have a mat inside to also clean yep. your feet on and, you know, all of that stuff. So you're talking about a massive amount of space that needs to, that's tight, as far as I can tell, that yep. needs to be cleaned on the regular, has no real ventilation other than mechanical ventilation. Yes. And mechanical ventilation builds up dust like nothing you yes. have to be able to clean those vents and if you don't there are real health concerns like you can build up um there's mildew which you're there's no way they're not gonna have a mildew problem that many bodies puts off so much moisture like yes you will need a there's huge gonna... amount of like drying like you need ac doesn't like industrial hvac like doesn't just blow temperature controlled air part of it is drying that air part yes, of that is like bringing with, the moisture out yeah it condenses water out of the air and removes it so that you're bringing down the relative humidity and yep. yeah all the things yeah and so you're gonna have you're gonna have mildew issues if nothing else not to mention like you know now that we have been through a major pandemic like i think it's pretty obvious that sharing that much airspace like non-fresh air airspace with people is uh is a nightmare for epidemiologists right like yes uh or not epidemiologists what's the um yeah like yeah yeah people who study epidemics right yeah, yeah like it's a, it's a fucking you know it's a nightmare it's, like it's a pandemic yeah. and it's it's a self-contained pandemic like yes always going to be happening one person fucking gets the flu and comes in and everyone Everybody's is exposed gonna to get it, it. Yeah. yep um yeah it's just there's like I love to like some of the quotes from these articles where it's like um, like the UC Santa Barbara, like how they're like not backing down and they're just like, this is the greatest thing ever. We're super excited about this. Yeah. Like somewhere I read a quote where they were basically like, we realize that the dorm might not be for everyone. And I want to be like, <laughs> the dorm is for no one, no human this being. This is a uh, like not this is a violation of human rights yes yeah and the worst part of it is like there's no real reason like this isn't we're not talking about like hey we're gonna try and do this crazy endeavor where we're going to like you know send a ship to antarctica and like you know it's gonna be cramped living conditions for a while but people are gonna stick it out for reasons right right like yeah this is like my my college experience is gonna be i'm gonna like live in cramped tight spaceship like you know survival mode conditions for reasons but what yeah. reasons are those and what the fuck like because charlie munger wants his building built with his name on it it's so it's just i really enjoy um the uh so Archonnect News, which is a mashup of Architect and Connect, I think. Archonnect News. Um architecture critic Paul Goldberger also responded to the news on Twitter, calling the design a sick joke and referring it to as a jail masquerading as a dormitory. Yes. Before pining for the days when the UCSB campus was dotted with commissions from Charles Moore, who's another architect. Um Yeah, it's it's kind of creepy 
that the chancellor Henry Yang um, is so like gaga over this. Like he called it an unprecedented residential experience, which is like, be careful what you wish for, I guess. I mean, I mean he's not wrong. It's unprecedented because it's completely oh, he is, insane. I, I 100% agree with that mistake, statement. Right. This so, is absolutely an unprecedented residential experience. Right. Uh, hang on. Nope. I take that back. We've all, there is plenty of precedent for that president for this. We've already precedent precedent. Yeah. Precedent. Camera. Do I sound weird to you? <laughs> Camera. <Sorry>. Um, <laughs> this is a wicked problem. Sorry. Speaking of mispronunciating. Pronunciating. Pronunciating. Stop pronunciating that weird. <laughs> this is. No, we, we've already discussed the existence of slums. Yes. Like these, these, in, these forced high density low quality of life living like you know or quality of life is so subjective but um these very cramped living conditions already exist there is precedent for it and it is well known as undesirable and something that is a problem as a society that we should be addressing Mm -hmm. like this feels like such a fucking like if nothing else just looking at it it's like such a step backwards it's like oh nope all of those things we learned from our past and history that we now know to be very detrimental to human happiness and existence and just like antithetical to like anybody having any experience of thriving in their life. Um, Let's do that. Let's just double down on that. Like let's make something. And I, yeah, it's just, Oh God. Um, it's it's insane like i'm just reading this twitter po- or this reddit post from um this student who was a uh who was a student at the university of michigan who lived in their <gasps> windowless munger graduate oh, excellent residence. what do they say um so so this person says and this was written 10 days ago and it was um written by Somebody named, well, their their handle. Their handle is dangerous corn. Great. Yep. Um, okay. Anyway, dangerous corn says, uh, "Don't live there ever." Here are my <laughs> thoughts after living in UM's Munger Building in Ann Arbor for a few years. Um, oh, few years! Oh my god! I oh. So uh, this person writes. Uh, three main points um which i'll try to paraphrase because they're quite they're they're long and it's probably worth reading but um i'll try and paraphrase so uh first they address the concept of close spaces forming bonding experience which they say this is mostly bullshit it was basically a blind roommate situation where people mostly kept to themselves um people end up getting mad at each other for normal stuff not cleaning having messes taking up making too much noise etc etc so yes as you can imagine like you know yeah this is the thing about i think forced closeness like this Mm -hmm. if you want to create a close tight-knit community you give space for people to go have that and then leave when they need to you don't force them in there as soon as you hold somebody to something it doesn't matter how great it is they're not going to enjoy it yeah you need that ability to come and go like you need that ability to be like oh over there is an activity where i'm i'm 
opting into I was just going to say opt in opt out yes yes yeah like I I hate the culture of opt out I hate the concept Mm -hmm. that this is the default unless you choose not yep I think that it should always be like opt in yep I don't know what your situation is like if you want this it's over here come opt in don't I like don't fucking put it in my face and make me choose not to do it yeah that's really interesting that's actually something we talk about in bioethics a lot yeah yeah, like yeah. I mean, I I recognize that like all things, there is nuance and gray area, and and it's easy to reduce things to like this binary, like all good and all bad, and like all all opt in is good and all opt out is bad. But <laughs> but like you know, there's there's a middle ground where it makes sense and it's important. Anyway, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Dangerous corn goes on to say, um, "Holy fucking shit!" The windows in all caps. Oh um, God. And then then they say, I thought it didn't matter to me as someone who has weird sleep schedule anyways. I thought it didn't matter to me as someone who was frequently nocturnal. I thought it didn't matter to me as someone who enjoyed being alone anyways. I was so, so, so wrong. Oh, um, and goes on to talk about waking up in darkness, complete darkness every fucking day was oh. just draining and so hard. And after months of that... Um, and and taking like falling asleep like taking a nap and then just sleeping for three hours without any ability to get out of bed because there was just no like on a day off where they're just like they'd fall asleep and they'd never get out of bed because they had no concept of what time or day it was in in sort of deep biological sense right yes it's not it's one thing for a week to look at a clock and be like yep i know what time it is but after a time those numbers don't trigger those biological functions where the natural light and the blue light triggers like you know certain sleep cycles and um there's like this thing called the suprachiasmatic nucleus in your brain that regulates a lot of your sleep and is triggered by light cycles and a lot of other stimulus that um i think Mm. we're just starting to understand um i i can't speak on it i'm not as you know like we know people who study but this, we do though, right? know people who study yeah. it and this would be absolutely a fantastic thing to get them on board with um yes. i i hope that she might be open to it uh, understandably someone who has a phd is reluctant to come on the podcast and represent themselves and their own thoughts because that's a public record and it's not just our podcast not that i <laughs> i i'm very understanding yeah. of why someone might not want to come on this podcast can considering like the depth and broad scope of the things that we talk about well um, sure just i would i'm you know, it's it, it, it's not it's for everybody. Like, it's not for everybody. It's not for everybody. And um, you know, you're either it's all in or all out. Like yes. once you do it, it's done. You can't take it back. It's there forever. And so, you know, like yeah. there are people who throw caution to the wind, and then there are people who are like, I'm not getting in your stinky cesspool. Right. Which is I get it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh from my point of view, the water's fine, but I there's nothing I'm giving up to be here, right? Like I don't have right. any kind of. I mean, um, we would say that we're swamp things. Yes, exactly. Right. Uh, this th- that statement about the dorm being like not for everyone. Yes, reminds me of that scene in um, oh god, what's it called? Uh, Jay and Silent Bob the reboot when yes. when Fred Armiston is talking about um the hater tots the tater t- the hater tots and. Yeah. And how it means, and he's like, well, it means different things to different people. Yes. <laughs> it's not for everybody. It's not for everybody. Munger Hall means different things to different people. Yeah. <laughs> uh, does it? Does the Reddit guy say anything else? Yeah. So uh, this person um, 
the dangerous corn or dangerous corn uh, who I don't have any sense of gender, so we'll just they will oh, be a nebulous. Oh, for some day. reason I thought I don't know why I thought that. Anyway, yeah, um, yeah. Well, I mean, anyway, like the way they write, potentially, you know, but um, it it doesn't. Anyway, so the the third point that they say is uh, that they'll try it. So so the first thing was the close spaces being bullshit, like this this idea of close spaces forming bonding experiences them that they were basically like nope that's bullshit um which i like anybody who tells you it's like hey we're gonna pack you into this super tight container with like some strangers and then you guys are gonna bond and it's like we've all grown up (sighs) watching fucking like mtv shows about this yeah no we we know how this is gonna go um uh, you know you might look out you might look out um this is literally what all of reality television is based off of and it all goes horribly awry and that's why every time we watch it I feel like this is also kind of an argument for like, hey, we're going to put a bunch of you in a room together and and have some trauma, like you're going to have a shared trauma and then you're going to bond over it. Like, Mm -hmm. it's not like, it's kind of like claiming that the bad thing, the good things that result from the bad thing makes the bad thing good. Right. The ends justify the means. Yeah, it doesn't. It's good. Like people who have formed a bond in war or combat or other traumatic events, that's a good thing. That is amazing. Mm-hmm. It doesn't. I don't know any of those people are going to be like, yeah, that bad thing that made us such good friends is something that we think is great. Other people should do this. Fuck that. Yeah. No one's saying that. Well, it's like it's it's interesting because you and I, I think, have the same outlook on this. Uh, right. One a person I know asked me. Uh, we were talking about something extremely traumatic that happened to me and like something that I'm like still around for. Like I right. it happened and I'm fine now, but it looked it took a while took a long time not not still not over it and they were like yeah but you know if that thing hadn't happened to you you wouldn't be who you are today and i was like you know what happened to me and the people who did it feels kind of like having a limb cut off and i'd really rather just have my arm back yes right i just would rather not have been maimed in the first place yeah exactly i don't think that it's justified i don't think it was a blessing in disguise i think people did some shitty things to me and it was really traumatic and i haven't gotten over it yet and i'd really just rather not have had any of that happen to grow from right yes like fuck that yeah yeah i also like if you've ever you know this thing came to light during COVID too, right? There are some of us who some were relieved. Some information has come to, to light, man. Some information has come to light, man. Yeah. Had that not occurred to you, <laughs> dude? So uh, like a bunch of us were like, hey, turns out we don't all have to be in a stupid office providing an unwilling audience to middle management so that they can feel like they do something right and like wasting a bunch of time and all of our own resources and the money that we slave away for in those places driving back and forth in the cars that we have to insure and pay for the gas in like all of that's pointless all of it's unnecessary except there's a few of you out there who are like but i want to talk to people and it's to you i'd like to say stop forcing me to be your friend i get paid to be around you that's why you see me not because i like you because someone's paying me to put up with you right stop forcing your coworkers to be your social life go yeah. get a life go get a life same thing stop forcing people to be friends and bond with their fucking cohabitators in a right. dorm situation you give them no choice not to live in right awful awful yeah awful yeah like so they've done experiments like you and i went to the trish conference before covid 
ruined yeah. everything. Yep. And um, we talked to some people who had been involved in like the like the biosphere sort of like experiments. Yeah. And um, like those kinds of things didn't go well either. There was like lots of weird like psychological trauma and people like self-harming and not getting along and they've had to call off experiments early because it was clear that people were like suffering considerably from the effects of the isolation and the like weird tasks that you have to perform in the artificial environment that doesn't actually support your biology and like all this stuff, right? Mm -hmm. um, and it's like, I think about this when I think about like future spaceship design, like for yes. people on long-term space travel. Can you imagine, like we've talked about how science fiction is our way of practicing our futures, right? Yep. Yep. And when I look at all of the interior design from all of these like futuristic movies, um, the like Star Trek or um, like uh, the funny Seth MacFarlane one that his on hiatus oh, is like, um, in between. What is that called? I can't remember. It's really good though. It's, yeah, it is very good. Um, and like um, even like the inside of the Millennium Falcon or like uh, like the Enterprise, right? Uh, yeah. the, design, the, the Orville. The Orville. The Orville, yes. yes. And like the Expanse. The design is all the same. It's very geometric. It's very minimalistic. And the colors are very neutral. And there's no windows to the outside. And I'm like, right. we already know that this is not going to work for spaceship design. Right. Yeah. People will be cannibalizing each other in short order. Yep. Like things will go very, very badly. Like Lord of the Flies, just completely haywire. Not good. There's not going to be any sunlight while you're out there in those ships. It's like, oh my God, this is going to be terrible. This is why I'm proposing that somebody probably like, I don't know, it may be one of us one of these days. Get, like we need to really think about interior design for space. Yeah. Like this is going to be a real big problem. Yeah, yeah, it is. I, it, I would do it, but I'm working on the space wig thing already. Right. Um, I mean, I think about this also, uh, the issue with like uh, air travel and where the personal space has gotten smaller and smaller over the Ooh, years to maximize, yeah. you know, return, like the ability. <laughs> money. I, money. Yeah. I mean, I think one could argue that that air travel is a weird industry where the margins are really close and they're trying yeah. really hard to like many times just make themselves survive. Um, right. You know, like most things where uh, capitalism butts up against something, it, it ultimately destroys it in some way. But um, mm -hmm. uh, yeah, like the issue of air travel where it's like, would it, you could potentially fit more people if we were all laying down. Um, and there are many times when I'm sitting on an airplane where I wish that I could be in that position. But ultimately what it comes down to is that as a human being, it's like, any one position sucks. Like you need to be yeah. able to move around. Like we're dynamic people. And anytime you restrict your ability to move, mm -hmm. you're seriously compromising. Like your your sort of even men midterm mental health, like within 12 hours, like being confined to a seat. Like when I flew to, when I've flown to Australia or China from San Diego, like that's a long, like oftentimes like 13 hours of air travel, not necessarily mm -hmm. all the time in a plane, but um, yeah, it's rough. Like, you're by the end of it you feel so fucked up yeah um and i looking at this dorm just looking at the layout of it i'm like this is just like the same thing but for longer like you're you know it you makes can, even like to your mind i mean if you're stuck in like the experience of being wedged in an aircraft is like tolerable because you're like oh my god the outside is just right there 
Yeah. Like I can see the window and I can see out of it and there's yep. a little vent like blowing air on my face and right. like I can get up and I can walk in a very clear path forward or backward. That's the only directions to go. And at either end of that forward or backward is an exit and a bathroom. Right. Not to mention there's, you know, purpose and a deadline that everybody kind of agrees on, which right. is one of the reasons where you hear these stories of people going crazy when a plane's stuck on the tarmac. Like, yeah, all of a sudden that agreement of like, I got on this plane and I've agreed to six hours, like right. I've already set my mind to it, like, you know, yeah. a little bit of d- delay, like I understand. But at some point where you're like, I don't know when I'm going to be able to leave this intolerable situation, you start to lose your shit way sooner than if you were like, this is how much time you've mm-hmm. already agreed to. Um, and I think like a dorm room like this is going to feel weird like that, because you're going to have this kind of sense of like you know, I, okay, like I'm here for this semester and I got to get out of here, but like, that's too long for you to feel like it's a day. Maybe you're like, Oh, it's a week or whatever. But when you're just like, it's like 10 weeks or 12 weeks or however long a semester is at at UCSB, um, you know, or however long you're kind of stuck in that dorm. Like, and Mm -hmm. also like, I think about, um, those situations where like something like this probably, seems fine when you're like that's fine i'm going to spend most of my time at the library or in these common areas and like you know i just need a place to put my shit i get that and i get that like you know in many ways it might just be like i don't really care i just want a fucking basically a storage unit to have some shit in Mm -hmm. where i can like lock my shit so i don't have to carry everything on my back all day long and i'll just live on campus the rest of the time plenty of people do that in lots of capacities yeah but i think about the situation where suddenly that's taken away from you again where you're like really restricted like we've had recently where it's like oh there's quarantine protocols and now all of a sudden it's like for public health people need to stay in their homes or like stay near their homes and no longer have access to those public areas that before were you were making up as part of your like mental health slash living space Um, Mm -hmm. and i think that that it's unrealistic to expect people to have this as a fallback that's going to be okay like, yeah. Now, when you look at the cell blocks, like how yeah. there's like they're divided into quote unquote houses, right? And one yep. house is like a dorm with a common area and then mm-hmm. a bunch of bedrooms around it. Yeah. How so, many bedrooms and how many people per bedroom? I don't. Well, so one, the idea is everybody gets their own bedroom. Okay. Is my understanding. Um, I, the map does not indicate like which bedroom is a bedroom versus like a toilet or something. My oh. understanding is there's one toilet per eight people. And that's so what I understood too. If I'm looking at this correctly, then there are um, in a given house, there are these blocks of eight bedrooms or eight rooms. Mm-hmm. Actually, it looks like. 10 rooms so one of them is a toilet and one of them is like maybe a utility closet or something um i'm not exactly sure but essentially um so in a house there will be these blocks of eight people so one two three four so eight bite so in a house there will be eight blocks of eight so 64 people in a house whoa 64 people in eight toilets yeah yep and so you're looking at a situation where and these are really fucking dense like you're you're basically your door opens up into what i can i'm guessing is like a maybe a five foot hallway where across the hallway are eight or ten or five other doors that go into other room the other bedrooms and potentially one of those is a bathroom um 
It just looks insane to me. And there's, and then each one of these are just packed into each other. It's like this weird fractal space of like these tiny one unit rooms. Yeah. Um, the, there's the common space is as big as one of the sort of eight, eight block bedrooms. It's not actually that big, but it is where the windows are. Uh-huh. Um, I'm assuming there's like a shared kitchen, but you're talking about a shared kitchen with 64 fucking people. That's just impossible. It I mean, logistically. Yeah. This is like, this. Yeah. You wouldn't be able to do that. Uh, think of situations that you and I have been in where if there were just 64 of us doing all the things independently and sharing the same tiny little thing that somebody had like provided, uh, it never would have worked. Like it, it, what ends up happening is somebody's like, we can't all be in here at the same time in a normal society. Somebody's like, I will do all of X so that the rest of you can go do something else so that we're not 64 people piled up on top of each other trying to make spaghetti. Um, just make spaghetti for 64 people. Right. Right. Like you can't, this is like this, this to me smacks of on some level, highly individualistic thinking. Yeah. No, this is, this is a, this is not, this is a, this is just a, like, there's a good reason everybody is outraged by this. Like, yeah, I don't know. I, I don't know what is going on that someone is like, yep, this is, this is a good, this is for nobody. This isn't good. This isn't not for everybody. This is for nobody. There's no person you wouldn't. The worst part of this is that when it fails, there's there's really very little way to like convert this into like actually successful living space. Yeah. Um, oh, because because of the way the windows and things are set up, where it just minimizes window availability to the building in general. There's mm-hmm. no way to be like, okay, well, we're gonna start making rooms that have windows, and then we'll deal with the other space. It's like most of the space will never be able to access a window, right. no matter what you do. Right. And so you're you're gonna build this building, and then you're gonna eventually have it's gonna be they're gonna have to shut it down. Like there's no you can't you can't live like this. Like it's no. nuts. So this is interesting. I flipped through a couple of the. Um, the sources and um gizmodo uh says when you if you need to go up for oxygen and sunlight a press release from ucsb says that there is a walled in rooftop courtyard offering amenities such as natural ventilation and an open view of the sky so if you go up on the roof there will be walls that you can't actually see the ground beneath you. All you can see is straight up. Uh-huh. I that sounds like um I feel like there's some institution where there's a law that make that says you have to have access to that and so you they like march you around and you get like an hour a day or something in like a yeah. jail i'm thinking jail. of prisons i'm thinking of prisons like high security prisons yeah, where high it's security like prisons. like you're you know it's 
it's the minimum requirement of like there's your like pinpoint of sunlight and you can Mm -hmm. walk around in this like 10 foot little square yeah um no i mean it just sounds it's telling that there's walls on the roof isn't it yes yeah it is it is we can't have people jumping off to get out of there right right it's 11 stories tall right um so this is interesting um i found another quote from dennis mcfadden on the um independent which also has some artistic renderings of what these places might look like inside um so rather dennis mcfadden says as the vision of a single donor the building is a social and psychological experiment with unknown impact on the lives and personal development of the undergraduates the university serves dennis mcfadden explains that he felt compelled to step down from the design review committee or drc after it became clear during an october 5th presentation so october 5th like right after october 5th much as must have been when i first read about mm, this because yeah. it was it was like Holy shit, he he resigned. I mean, it was really quick news. Yeah. So um, he revealed during October 5 presentation that the dorms plans were already set in stone. The design was described as 100% complete. Approval was not requested. No vote was taken and no further submittals are intended or required. Yet in the nearly 15 years I served as a consulting architect to the DRC, no project was brought before the committee that is larger, more transformational and potentially more destructive to the campus as a place than Munger Hall. Uh, end quote. This kind of outlandish proposal is exactly why the committee exists, he said. He drew starking comparisons, and I think this is where I was thinking earlier of like the comparisons to other places on Earth where there's population density like this. So McFadden draws striking comparisons between Munger Hall and other large structures to illustrate its colossal footprint. Currently, he said, the largest single dormitory in the world is Bancroft Hall at the U.S. Naval Academy, which houses 4,000 students and is composed of multiple wings wrapped around new numerous courtyards with over 25 entrances. Munger Hall, in comparison, is a single single block housing 4,500 students with two entrances. It would qualify as the eighth dentist neighborhood on the planet, falling just short of Dhaka, Bangladesh. It would be able to house Princeton University's entire undergraduate population, or all five Claremont colleges. The project is essentially the student life portion of a mid-sized university and campus box. Uh, Oh, this is hilarious. The project is utterly detached from its physical setting. McFadden goes on and has no relationship to UCSB's spectacular coastal location. It is also out of place with the scale and texture of the rest of the campus. An alien world parked at the corner of the campus, not an integrally related extension of it. Even the rooftop courtyard looks inward and may as well be on the ground in the desert as on the 11th floor on the coast of California. It's a project that pushes economies of scale, prefabrication, and alternate project delivery process. It offers an answer to the question of how to resolve the housing shortage and growth pressures currently facing the university as a design solution and a campus building. However, the project will long outlive the circumstances of its origin and will impact the life of the campus and the lives of its students for multiple generations. Yeah. A UCSB spokesperson, Andrea Estrada, who will shortly have blood on her hands, said while the university was grateful for McFadden's service on the review committee, his comments on the Munger proposal and his resignation won't stop it from becoming a reality. The Munger Hall project and design is continuing to move forward as planned, she said in a statement. We are delighted to be moving forward with this transformational project. (laughs) Oh, and this is new. Oh, we have news. Update as of... Uh, 
November 2nd, in yeah. a follow-up comment to Santa Barbara Independent on Tuesday, UCSB spokesperson Andrea Estrada, still with bloody hands, said the university recognized that Munger Hall might not be for everyone. There's where that quote came from. Uh-huh. Stressing that UCSB currently provides housing for 10,000 students living in double or triple occupancy rooms. By contrast, Munger Hall will offer each student their own separate, if very small, quarters. That, according to a statement from project architect Van Tilburg, Banvard, and Soderberg, will provide built-in social distancing as required by COVID. Fresh air, the architect insisted, will be vented into all rooms at twice the rate mandated by existing building codes and will be off gassed directly to the atmosphere without any transfer to other rooms in the dorm. As for concerns about lack of direct natural light caused by the lack of windows, all individual rooms will either have conventional or virtual windows. All virtual windows will have a fully programmed circadian rhythm control system to substantially reflect the lighting levels and color temperature of natural daylight according to the statement. All common areas have significant access to natural light. As far as emergency exits, the statement noted, the proposed structure would have 14 additional entrances and exits in addition to the two major ones. The two major ones. There are two major ones. Don't forget that when the lights are out and there's smoke filling the air. Wait, so I have a rebuttal to that. Um, The thing about the natural light thing in particular. Uh, According to an article published on dzine.com, that's D-E-Z-E-E-N.com, they have a quote from Munger himself, which was when he's talking about the window shortage, um, he he says so. We just copied the Disney cruises. What Disney cruises did, the way <gasps> Disney does it, the windows. The window is really a television set. Those work beautifully on the ships. But I wanted to have a spectrum of sunlight, so with a curtain hanging over it, you couldn't tell it was artificial or real. He said, "I figured out how to do that. Programming the lights to copy the sun was too expensive. So we will give the students knobs, and they can have whatever light they want. Real windows don't do that. So." Whatever that person was saying about there being circadian rhythm managed lights, it sounds like, according to this other article, that is one of those things that's like, yes, we'd like to do that, but we can't afford it. So we're not going to do that. And we're going to do this other thing that we are going to say is essentially the same thing. So what do you think is worse then? Like, I mean, the thought that somebody else is dictating what the lighting should be like on a schedule to mimic what they think my circadian rhythm should be is a little frightening. Yeah. Well, what I what I interpreted from that Mm -hmm. was that the lights would follow the natural daylight like they would mimic whatever timelines going on outside, which I I think that um, I think that that's I think. What I think is that you probably need some system to do that that you're not directly having to monitor and change all the time for yourself is my point. Like yes. having yes. a knob, which means that I need to set my own alarm so that I know at five o'clock I need to dial it into sunset tones or whatever. Like that's not going to work, right? Like long term. You need something to just be natural. Um, yes. And I think mimicking, I think I, I get what you're saying. I don't really think of it as someone else deciding what they look like. I think of it as someone being like, no, here we're trying to mimic this natural event is what, probably better than nothing. What's Sure. Assuming they did that, right? Like assuming yeah, yeah, that sure. they just said like, well, the sun's up. So the, so the windows are lit. Sun goes down. The windows dim. Right. Right. Like right. that would be, that would be interesting. And in fact, like it would, 
it would go a long way in my hypothetical imagination yeah. if the quality of the light was matched to the quality of light outside. So if there's a thunderstorm that rolls through and it's like, oh, I just walked out of my bedroom that was trying to mimic real light into a fucking rager of a thunderstorm. Right. Like right. It, if it matches, if it, you know, it's consistent so that if you can find your way to the outside world ever again, yeah, when you get there, you know what to expect, right? Right. Um, that just seems to me like an awful lot of coordination. Oh yeah. No, it's, I mean, well, that's why he's like, that was too expensive. We're not right. doing that. We're not doing so, that. Um, so <laughs> this, you know what this, this makes me think of like the experience could maybe be a little bit like, um, you know, when you go to the movies, it's been a long time, but if you go to the movies and it's light outside, but then you come outside and it's dark and it's a little bit disorienting. Yeah. Yeah. Or you go to the movies and it's light outside and you come outside and it's light outside and it's also disorienting because you've been in this very dark light controlled environment yes. for like two hours and then you come out and it's a little bit like, Oh, it's always a little surprising. Like that the world has changed so much. Mm -hmm. I imagine that that experience happens to you every, every fucking day. Day. It just imagine. I just, I, how destabilizing that would be. I just think it would be exhausting. You would just yeah. be so you can't keep up with it. No, it'd be like, it'd be novel and interesting the first three I, times. And then you'd just be like fucking so, going out of your mind. So if your biology is having to like rev up and rev down all of the time to like catch up with these things that aren't normal, like your body, if, if your body's doing a large biological load in one area that's unusual, it's going to borrow that energy from some other place. Oh, yeah. No, you're going to. I mean, you're going to like weird things. You know, like people are going to start getting osteoporosis or something crazy like that. You know what right. I mean? Because they're not getting enough vitamin D. Yeah. Like just stuff that's incidental to living a normal human life. If you take those things away, your body, like your whole organism suffers. Like you're going to wind up with all kinds of weird problems. So I was um, at the bottom of this independent story. It says, find all of our Munger dorm stories at. There have been so many stories that the independent started cataloging them all. And there's one that was published on my birthday. Yeah. UCSB, comma, Munger, respond to avalanche of backlash over Dormzilla. <laughs> Thousands sign petitions by architectural historians, students to halt project. Um, their public relations machine, quote, I'm quoting here, has kicked into high gear to defend the university's proposed Munger Hall dormitory, <laughs> issuing a statement Thursday that highlights the anticipated benefits of the controversial hyperdense building concept, while at the same time acknowledging its small windowless bedrooms may not be right for everyone, which is what we just read. Um, <laughs> the drawbacks of living in a 10 foot by 7 foot space. That's the size of the bedroom, 10 by 7. Yeah without a window would be offset by an attraction to the dorm's large rec rooms and study halls, as well as on-site amenities such as market, bakery, and fitness center, Munger told the magazine, explaining, it's all about the happiness of the students. We want to keep the suicide rate low. That's what he said. Yes. That's what he said. Said Munger, Berkshire Hathaway's billionaire vice chair, who is partially blind and has described architecture as kind of a hobby, said he simply doesn't see the problem with windowless single occupancy bedrooms. It's quite endurable, especially with good ventilation. The 90 year old, 97 year old insisted nobody minds going into a basement restroom and peeing because there's no window. 
That's what he said. That's a quote. That's a direct quote from the man who designed this. Nobody minds me, going me, me. into me. a basement restroom. I, I do mind. I mean, it's better than the alternative of like peeing my pants, but I don't enjoy the experience. Like, what the fuck are you talking about? So listen to this. This is a new detail to me that has not yeah. been fully described in any of the things we've read so far. Munger is donating $200 million toward the estimated $1.5 billion project. Right. He's not even paying for the whole thing. Yeah. No, he's just inflicting a shit show on it. He worked with architects out of Santa Monica to draft the blueprints. So there is VTBS, VTBS, Victor target bravo shoot yourself yeah. architects out of santa monica to draft the blueprints there's people who were like yeah i'm i'm down for this i'm gonna stake my firm's reputation on this like shit this like murder Fuck. house yeah um wait i this quote from the dzine.com uh, article is fucking great so i'm gonna do just yeah, very yeah. very yes, relevant um so uh he goes on to say though munger has no or the article says though munger has no article uh, architectural training he believes that the building similar to munger hall will or sorry he believes that buildings similar to munger hall will quote sprout up all over america however he doesn't believe universities should normally let donors choose the architect of its buildings quote if you allow the donor to pick the architect which has been done in many places the buildings look like shit he told architectural record Quote, because that is a special because this is a special case, I've been doing it for a long time and I know more about it. And I have very good architect helping me. Navy F. Barnyard, uh, the principal architect at VTBS, um, who's one of California's biggest apartment house architects. He's just he just believes he can do no wrong. He's just, you know, Do you want to know the best part about this story. Yeah. That guy's 97 and he's not going to be around much longer. Right, right. Like he won't even be around to like, I bet I bet he won't live long enough to see the building completed. Like, I bet not. I bet he won't. You know what? He's like, this better be in his will somewhere because if he croaks, I don't think they're getting the money. Wouldn't it be hilarious if they started yes. constructing a $1.5 billion project and then 200 million of it fell through yeah. belonging to the person who insisted on the design in the first place? Yeah. That's what's going to happen. That's where my money is. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to tell UCSB, I'll bet you $5 on that $2 million. <laughs> Right, right. Betting against you. Yeah, like I, I, even if you get, even if they get the $200 million actually, right? Right. Yeah, even if they get the money, I, I'll bet you this building what, does not get million, complete. Like, they're saying it's going to cost $1.5 and only $200 million of it is coming from Charlie Munger. Like, where are, where is all of the rest of this money coming from people who are like in support of this who's yeah. in support of this that has 1.3 billion dollars yeah i i mean i i go back and forth like on the one hand it's like i want this building to be built so we can all just be like i told you so but i really don't want this building to be built because of all the people who are going to suffer a lot yeah um and that that makes me sad so here's why they're going to suffer. In a separate interview with CBS Market Watch, Munger again shrugged off the controversy, suggesting the pushback was based not on his design's alleged shortcomings, but on his vast wealth. You've got to be you've got to get used to the fact that billionaires aren't the most popular people in our society. Poor Charlie Charlie persecuted Munger said, I'd rather be a billionaire and not be loved by everybody than not have any money. Uh, 
Oh, God. Another si- oh God. So this week, this week, uh, and this week was uh, November 5th. Um, this week, a group of six, ar- six architecture history professors at UCSB created a petition to stop Munger Hall from moving forward. Like other experts who have spoken out, the group took exception with the dorm's small windowless cells and complained no research had been presented on the potential psychological effects such a radical design would have on its inhabitants. The petition, which has garnered more than... <laughs> 1,700 signatures, including mm-hmm. those of noted architectural historians throughout the U.S., has challenges favor also challenges favorable commissions made by UCSB between the dormitory and another of Munger's mostly windowless designs, the Munger Graduate Residences at U, uh, U Michigan. The two buildings are very different, the faculty group stated. Munger Hall at Michigan is for graduate students. It's less than one quarter the size and offers roughly one bathroom for every bedroom, whereas the behemoth plan for UCSB undergraduates offers just two bathrooms for every eight bedrooms. So there we go. Two, two, that's a really rough ratio. Yeah. The, I mean, we have one bathroom for every two people in my house, and it's not enough. Right. The artificial windows are just as unpopular at Michigan dorm as one might expect. Um Uh, there's a guy, Richard Whitman, one of the petition's authors who studied at Yale and Columbia and is currently an associate professor in UCSB's Department of History of Art and Architecture, said that there might be some validity to certain details of Munger's concept, at least in theory. (laughs) That's a lot of caveats. Maybe, he said, but let's test it first. Let's see some data. As it stands now, the project is essentially a $1.5 billion experiment without precedent. Uh, if this was any other research project, Whitman said, you'd be laughed out of the room for proposing something on this scale with no research. Um, it, he, UCSB's public affairs department has lauded Munger's sweeping and stunning vision, and he criticized them for sounding at times like the official organ of a totalitarian state. God damn it. It's just so bad. The American Institute of Architects articulated its own opposition in a letter to Chancellor Henry Yang, who has similarly described Munger's plans as inspired and revolutionary. As architects, their letter reads, it is our responsibility to positively design the built environment in ways that support the health, safety, and welfare of building occupants, respect the natural environment, and enhance the community at large. The chapter believes unequivocally that Munger Hall does not meet any of those standards and that there is no just justifiable reason to proceed with the project as proposed. Meanwhile, Tommy Young, a fourth-year UCSB double undergraduate majoring in economics and geography, has created his own petition against the dorm that got 10,000 signatures. Students, alumni, parents, prospective students, they should all have a say, he said. They should all have input. He was especially disgusted by Munger's deflection that critics are simply preoccupied with his wealth. It's disingenuous, he said. No, people aren't mad because you're rich. People are mad because you're forcing a design down their throats they disagree with and you're not willing to budge. Right. You're not seeing any petitions pushing for approval. He also questioned Munger's prediction that tiny bedrooms would lure students into bigger common areas. Young's own residence hall has has small rooms, he said, and its communal spaces are still dead zones. UCSB needs to go back to the drawing board on this one. It still has to be, okay, here we go. Here's a possible ray of sanity on this entire situation. While UCSB has approved Munger's plan, it must still be vetted by the California Coastal Commission and the UC Board of Regents, where there will be opportunities for public comment. Uh, oh, so there it's you not, go. It's not getting built. There I don't think no it's going to get built either. No, the Coastal Commission, that's they're, mm, they're, they don't care about the money. 
Right. right. They're not going to. Yeah, there's I doubt I'd be surprised if this gets built. So um, there's there's there. You guys have earthquakes that affect Santa Barbara, right? Yeah, most of the coast. I mean, they're definitely like L.A., San Francisco. Well, San Francisco is far north of San Francisco. Sure, um, sure. Yeah. Uh, I mean, but, yeah. like, what is it? Is there uh, anything's possible, right? But what yeah. is the likelihood, in your personal opinion, as someone who lives in Southern California, of there maybe being an earthquake that had enough damage related to it that the HVAC or the lights would go out in this massive building? Um, I pretty low, just because uh, I, I'm assuming that they follow the building regulations of California. Like the last mm -hmm. major earthquake we had. Um, like Tijuana was devastated in San Diego it was just like, we were like, yeah, there's like minor structural damage. Mm. Um, like there weren't like loss of power or like major, like it was a, you know, humanity, like a, a crisis down there, like a, you know, a crisis in yeah. Tijuana compared to here where we were just like, because all of our bridges are retrofit and like new buildings, like meet standards that require, like that they're required to do. So, mm -hmm. um, you know that's that's why that other fucking building in San Francisco that's sinking yes. is so fucking hilarious because it's like how did this get built um, right when right the one that's about to fall over right yeah like it's I can't remember the name of it um, um Timothy just told me about it our friend Timothy yeah it's uh it's called the Millennium Tower the Millennium Tower yep I just found it yeah and so the Millennium Tower uh has um they were it, retrofitting it and they stopped yeah so i believe the millennium tower may not like i don't know that the the issue so like i don't know that much about this but i think my understanding is that um so earthquakes there's different kinds of earthquakes which <laughs> or that is to say like the way that the earth moves can be different depending on what triggers it where you are also what's under you mm -hmm. um whereas like if you're in sand like it's a very different experience than like if you're kind of in a loose pack sand so like here in san diego um i know uh when we have earthquakes like other people report different experiences depend because it depends on where they were and what like what was under them and yeah. like what building you're in and and those kinds of things so but the millennium tower as i understand it uh basically um was not the foundation was like built cheaply and so it doesn't anchor to bedrock and so it's oh. starting to it's starting to lean um and i believe that uh i'm looking to see how much it's um, primarily residential so it's a six inch so let's see in 2016 the building had sunk 16 inches with a two inch tilt at the base oh my God. Um, which is a six inch tilt at the top of the tower so <clears throat> it it's like and and so my understanding is as of now, oh, so as of 2018, it's increased to 18 inches with a team of, with a lean of 14 inches. So like in two years, it increased by eight inches at the top. Like it moved another eight inches over, like as it's leaning. Oh. Um, <sighs> So anyway, uh, I feel like architectural nightmares. Like maybe we need to like, I think we could call this. It's been almost an hour and a half. I yeah. need to go pick up my friend. Um, okay. 
who is getting his wisdom teeth out today potentially. So, um, so here's one thing I'll just add really quick. Yes. They first proposed the millennium tower in 2002 with 163 condominiums, 108 rentals and 136 unit extended stay hotel. Yeah. It was improved 2000 approved 2003 by SF planning commission four to one. The only vote against the project came from planning commissioner Sue Lee. The development was the first high rise built by downtown built in downtown in 20 years. Um, it was like, uh, the Millennium Tower received no scrutiny um, because it wouldn't it wasn't submitted for like a peer review because right. it would have delayed it for years. Yeah. Uh, interesting. Anyway. Yeah. So that's uh, that's your uh, shitty architectural news. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, what? Are you, what? what? So, <laughs> so I think. Um, I think what we can do is we can just kind of summarize this. If you've made it all the way to the end, thank you so yeah. much. We appreciate yeah. you. Um, and we hope you're having as much fun as we do. Uh, yeah. We're going to do our color of the day segment, which if you're not yes. familiar with, um, we have two colors. Uh, as as one knows, like a color by itself is might as well just be gray all the time because yep. eventually your mind just, you know. Stop seeing it. Stop seeing it. So, um that's why we have two colors so that you can appreciate contrast yes. and uh, more appreciate the two colors of the day. So the two colors of the day, uh, did you get the link from our research I, department? I did. They emailed me or uh, texted me and I have it here. First color, Fernless Clubhouse. If you yeah. are not a fan of ferns, but you do like clubhouses, this color is for you. Right, right. Yeah. <laughs> the RGB numbers are 143-205-182. The hexadecimal is hashtag eight F as in Frank, C as in cat, D as in dog, B as in butthead, and the number six. Yep. Eight F C D B six. Yep. Um, and uh, it's like a, it's like a, uh, like somewhere between a dusty sage and a seafoam green. Like it's yeah. very um, pale. It's not really calming. No. It's a calming no. color. But. Um, it would probably be good like as an accent wall maybe mm -hmm. in like a massage therapist's office or something. Right, right. Yeah. The contrasting color is titular supposition. Yes. Which is kind of like um, a plummy, mauve Yes. Like if you squeezed a cherry, the juice that came out would be this color, but it's a pastel version of that. This, this is the color that somebody says, oh, that's eggplant. And I'm like, fuck you, it is. Right. Yeah. It's not eggplant. <laughs> like, You're right. They're wrong. Like, it's purple. Mm -hmm. I get you. But this is not eggplant, you fucker. Like, yeah. eat a dick and get your shit together. <laughs> like, I may have classic, Pull like, like mild colorblindness, but even I can see this is not eggplant. Um, right. Yeah. So it is definitely like a plum. Yeah. Like a kind of pasty yeah. plum. Like, I yeah, don't know. Yeah. Pasty like, plum. Yeah. Um, but titular supp supposition, the RGB values are one uh, 112 or 112, yep. uh, 5073, and the hexadecimal value, which if you're not familiar, if you pop these hexadecimal values into like Google or other major search engines, um, usually it'll pop up a color picker and show you the exact color so you can see what we're looking at. Yeah, um, I forgot to explain that. Thank you. Yeah, so uh, no problem. Um, anyway, so yeah, it would be uh, hashtag or pound sign or as we like to call it, Octothorpe. So uh, hashtag 703249. That one's interesting. We've never had one that's just all numbers before, have we? Uh, not that I can think of. I can uh, think if you're, uh, so 
the the relationship with between RGB and uh, hexadecimal values um, is actually really straightforward. So uh, RGB is red, green, blue, and there's three values from zero to 254 or 255 values for each one, right? Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. you can have between, you can kind of think of them as percentages. So like how much how much red, how much green, and how much blue is mixed in? Because right. those are are the cone are the cones cones or color cones? I think rods. Uh, yeah, ro- rods and cones in your eyeballs. Rods, I think, uh, see light and dark, and cones see shades of colors. Maybe. Yeah. So um, basically, our eyes really, generally, for most people, detect three colors: red, green, and blue. And they're kind of peak at their detection of those colors. And so we kind of have this like artificial perception of color where we um, and so that's why we just we represent color by these three values typically um, Mm -hmm. where like how much. So like zero red means there's no red color. If it's all zeros, you're black. And if they're all 255 or if they're all at 100 percent, you're white. Uh, You're Mm -hmm. you're, the color is white. Like you see white. Right. Your perception of it is white. And um, and so. Uh, RGB and hexadecimal values are essentially the same representation. They're just a different format. So the RGB value is just like, you know, how much red, how much green, how much blue. blue. The hexadecimal value, you've noticed it's six numbers. Yes. And um, each two digit is, so the first two digits are red, the second two digits are green, and the third two two digits are blue. Gotcha. And the reason you get letters is because it's, um, it's, Hex, hex, it's a hexadecimal number. Like it's, it uses, it's base 16, right? So after you, you count from zero to nine, and then after nine is A, B, C, D, E, and F. And so you're never going to get anything beyond F, but that, so, so when we look at Fernless Clubhouse with its uh, hexadecimal value of eight, Foxtrot, Charlie, Delta, Bravo, six, mm-hmm. um, the first, the re- the red value, eight F, is basically in the first column, you have F, which is, uh, so F is, you know, A is 10, B is 11, C is 12, D is 13, uh, e is 14 and f is 15. 15 or yeah and so that's 15 and then you have eight 16s added plus 15 and so that's what you get which is 143 aha and cd is the yeah and so it's, like it's, the next two, de- two decimals is cd is the value of 205 so like the rgb b values are 143 205 182 if you change those into hexadecimal values then you'd have 8f cd b6 yeah so. fascinating how, how right. have we never talked about that before i don't know but well uh, now you know yes now yeah. i know yep that makes a lot of sense yeah so well, that's cool yeah uh, i think that you should um you know if you pick up your friend today and he's had his wisdom teeth out and he's a little loopy from the anesthetic you should tell him all about charlie munger and see what he thinks i'm gonna ask him his opinion on charlie munger <laughs> i mean this is gonna be a perspective we haven't had before right yeah <laughs> i definitely um this gentleman that i'm picking up today i play dungeons and dragons with uh, yeah. on some weekends and I grew up with him and we we played Dungeons and Dragons way back in the day as well and um, I I would love to get some of these guys on the podcast at some point because we both have like a really long history like we haven't as adults we've come back together and like reconnected and it's fantastic and you know and our, our relationship in high school was like 
um, not strained by personal relationship, but more strained by like Ned was really busy doing a lot of drugs and dropping out and yeah. everyone else was like busy trying to get on with school and getting a life together. Right. So, mm-hmm. um, so my, you know, my time with them, like kind of petered out pretty quickly there until there was a valley. Later, there was a valley. There, there was, was a big a valley. Dip. Yeah. Yep, big dip. And then it came yeah. back up again. Right. But anyway, um, <laughs> yeah, I very much great. enjoy, I enjoy their, their company and their sense of humor. And, um, I think, this guy would be good. And then also another friend of mine is a clown, which I, um, and not the, not the, like, not the sort of like vaguely insulting, like you clown, like an actual clown, um, a a professional clown, a professional clown. And I, I have so many questions and I'd love for him to come on the podcast. So I may, I may try and I think he'd be into it. He's, um, he's really fun, interesting person to talk to. And I also grew up with him. We were in Boy Scouts together. So fantastic. Yeah. And I think he has a, um, a really great sense of humor that's very unique and subtle and, and very enjoyable. So Wonderful. anyway, um, okay. So that's that. And thank you everybody for listening. This, yes. Thank you. This is a bonus long episode because we haven't, we're, we got a little behind because we were doing travel and shit happens. And yeah, also we're in happens. two, di- yeah. we're on two different coasts yep. and my house is mummified and life is a mess right now, but it's great because now you have a thing to listen to and it's extra long and maybe you'll have the opposite problem of like, you know, I wanted to listen to them and now I just need a break. <laughs> right. Yeah, so if so, mission accomplished. Yeah. also if you're listening to this and you live in very tight quarters um for whatever reason i Mm -hmm. would love to hear your take on that or just i don't know i'd love to i'd love for people to write in their own opinions about this like we um i we say this every time i think or many times like we do love to listen to our listeners we know or like hear from them yeah Um, it's a good time like i think we have a pretty regular listener group of about 200 people every month thank you um and so now is your time to connect with us because if if at some point we had so many listeners we might get to a point where we're not able to respond but right now we don't get a lot of queries so it's very easy for us to respond and if you want to have your comments read let it like you know on the podcast let us know or if you don't want us to talk about anything from you on the podcast Mm -hmm. also let us know we're very big into like protecting people's privacy and not you know not doing things you don't want because right it's a, and if we're not sure we're just going to air cautiously and not say anything <laughs> yeah exactly yeah like if you don't say anything we're not going to bring it up i mean we might right. reach out to you and be like hey we'd love to mention that you said this but we're not going to just yeah do anyway it. yeah whatever yeah. uh do your thing uh thanks for listening and um thanks.